Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Well, welcome to episode 43. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, Today we're fortunate to have with us Ken Wolski, he's the executive director of the Coalition for Medical Marijuana in New Jersey. We're going to have a, uh, a lively discussion concerning marijuana, both medical and recreational. So uh, we're looking forward to a good show. Ken, thank you for being here with us. Well, thanks for having me here, Peter. And before we get into everything, I just want to thank our sponsor, Trigger Smart. They are the makers of patented childproof smart guns. And if you'd like to learn more about them, uh, and their products, you can go to TriggerSmart, that's T-R-I-G-G-E-R-S-M-A-R-T.com. So thank you to our sponsor. All right, so we're going to talk about marijuana, both medical and recreational. And before we get into the uh, the questions, Ken, I'd like to talk a little bit about your background and how you became involved in the Coalition for Medical Marijuana. Uh, well, thank you, Peter. Uh, my background is I'm a registered nurse. I've been an RN in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania since 1976. So I have a wide variety of clinical experiences. And um, but um, in in 1993, uh, I went to a conference uh, in Amsterdam in uh, about medical marijuana. There were no uh, conferences in um, in the United States at the time on medical marijuana. And um, I I met there a gentleman by the name of James Burton. And Mr. Burton was an American who had just been released from an American prison after spending a year in prison. And his crime was growing marijuana. Uh, And he was doing it because he had glaucoma and no medicine was helping him to uh, stop from going blind. Uh, He tried marijuana for the first time in his 30s. And um, he noticed an almost immediate improvement in his vision. So he talked to his ophthalmologist about that, and his ophthalmologist recommended that he continue using the marijuana. And uh, he was growing it on his farm. He, he, got, uh, he got busted. Uh, he was uh, uh, convicted of a marijuana offense, and he spent a year in prison, despite the fact that his ophthalmologist testified at his trial. And while he was in prison, the government confiscated his home and his farm for, for growing that marijuana there, Peter. So, um, you know, to me, this was a one of the worst cases of social injustice that I had ever encountered, and I determined to look into it uh, and, and try to stop it from happening in the United States. So um, I took I researched the issue for about uh, almost 10 years, and, and I took my research to the New Jersey State Nurses Association and asked them to endorse medical marijuana uh, in 2002, and they did uh, after studying the issue. And uh, with that endorsement, uh, I co-founded the Coalition for Medical Marijuana in New Jersey in 2003. So we have this nonprofit educational organization. It's a 501c3 organization. Uh, and, uh, you know, our mission is to educate the public about the benefits of marijuana. And uh, so we've been doing that for over a decade now. And that's how I got involved in it, Peter. All right. Um, let's talk about medical marijuana itself and its legalization in New Jersey, uh, because the way that I understand the law, and certainly you, know, you are more of an expert in this uh, than I am, but um, the way I understand the law, there are very limited um, conditions for which you can obtain a medical marijuana card, which would then allow you to purchase the medical marijuana. And those conditions are very serious, like terminal cancer, MS, um, inflammatory bowel disease or Crohn's disease, terminal illness, glaucoma, seizure disorders, cancer. I mean, things that are, are 
life-ending or, or very um, life-altering conditions. There's not, from my understanding of it, uh, the ability to go in and say, hey, look, I got a really bad backache and I need some medical marijuana. Is that, uh, is that your, your position, your understanding of this? Uh, yes, absolutely. You know, the New Jersey's uh, conditions are considered the most restrictive of any of the 20 states in the District of Columbia that have medical marijuana laws. Uh, and as you say, it's only for uh, available for desperately ill patients in, in New Jersey. Um, chronic pain is a qualifying condition uh, along with nausea and vomiting and um, the wasting syndrome, but only if they're related to a diagnosis of cancer and AIDS. So chronic pain is probably the, mo the reason that most people use marijuana throughout the country. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's effective for chronic pain. It, it uh, results in a decrease in the use of opioids uh, and, uh, and even uh, non-prescription pain relievers. Um, you know, for example, acetaminophen, and the main ingredient in Tylenol, the uh, over-the-counter uh, pain reliever, is the leading cause of liver failure in the United States. So there are compelling reasons to use it for, you know, conditions such as a backache, you know, or something that a, a doctor that you would, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I've had a backache in my life, and uh, they can be quite debilitating. Uh, but uh, chronic pain is basically the... the um, you know, the, the conditions that qualify for marijuana therapy are, are arbitrarily limited in New Jersey, Peter. Uh, chronic pain was originally, for any reason, it was going to be a qualifying condition in New Jersey, but then it was taken out of the bill at the last minute, and like I said, it was only chronic pain for cancer and AIDS now. So it, it is a, a very limited bill in terms of what conditions qualify. Now, the Department of Health is empowered to add qualifying conditions at any time. Um, you know, for example, the, the, the neurological conditions that, that qualify are only three, multiple sclerosis, amyotropic lateral sclerosis, and muscular dystrophy. But there are a number of neurological conditions that marijuana can benefit. It, you know, it's just an arbitrary distinction to limit it to three. Uh, you know, it can help with Parkinsonian's disease. It can help with uh, Friedrich's ataxia and a number of other conditions. So, you know, we hope to have the bill expanded to its, um, you know, full capacity or, or the law expanded to its full capacity, really, and, and so that, uh, you know, all the people who can benefit from marijuana therapy would be eligible in New Jersey. All right. I want to I wanna touch on some of the things that you've raised here, but before we do that, I just want to give... Uh, some some baseline information for those people. Everyone knows what marijuana is, but there are a lot of people out there who have never used marijuana, don't understand it, don't understand how it's administered from a medical standpoint and what its effect is on the body. So let's just step back and, and go through the basics of marijuana. I think that when most people think of it, they're thinking of, you know, Harold and Kumar going to White Castle. That's the extent of their marijuana knowledge. So... <clears throat> You know, going back to the 60s and 70s as a purely recreational drug, uh, first of all, what is marijuana? How do people administer it? Not just in the medical sense, but in a general sense. Mm -hmm. Well, um, the uh, marijuana is, is a plant. The cannabis sativa is the Latin name for it. It's been used as a medicine and, and uh, uh, throughout history. Uh, there are thousands of years of its use. As a matter of fact, uh, marijuana under its name cannabis was uh, included in the U.S. pharmacopoeia for about 100 years before it was removed in the 1940s. Uh, it was included in about 100 different uh, me uh, preparations for, uh, through pharmaceutical companies in the United States before it was banned by the uh, um, uh, Marijuana Tax Act in 1937. So it's a, it's a very useful drug uh, uh, for many uh, medical uh, uh, reasons. And, uh, you know, most people think that, well, you know, you only smoke marijuana, but, but that's only one of the methods of drug delivery. Uh, you know, now there are, there are a, an incredible variety of ways to consume marijuana. It can be vaporized, that is to say, inhaled with no smoke at all. It can be sprayed under the tongue and absorbed under the tongue. It can be eaten in, in a variety of products. It can be uh, uh, drank in a, in a number of products. It can even be applied to the skin, and it can be used as a suppository. I mean, there are just so many different ways to use marijuana now that, uh, you know, its medical uh, use is being accepted in the United States. 
Um, but you know the the effects of it. it, it basically, it's a euphoriant. You know, it's misclassified as a narcotic. It's, you know, it's, its main purpose is not to put you to sleep. But its main purpose causes a a, a, a state of euphoria, temporary and self-limiting, and does not uh, not associated with a um, uh, with any type of hangover afterwards. But the effects are mitigated by by the type of marijuana that's being used. There's, you know, it's quite sophisticated what the what the growers are are doing now. They've uh, um, they can grow marijuana to enhance various aspects of the uh, um, components of marijuana, the cannabinoids. So if they want a, a product that is primarily associated with getting people high, they can uh, grow uh, high THC uh, content. Marijuana, and if they're concerned with, uh, for example, controlling seizures, they can grow a high CBD or cannabidiol um, type of marijuana. And of course, right. it, it depends on how, how much is taken, and, uh, and and there are various effects on the body, both expected effects, side effects, and adverse effects. Okay. All right. So my understanding is that back in the '60s, '70s, when people were were utilizing marijuana, even for just straight out recreational purposes, the levels of THC were somewhere around five, six, seven percent. And now when you look at some of the um, the levels in the medical marijuana, you're up fifteen to thirty percent. Is that your uh your understanding? Uh yeah, I think that's generally true. I think uh I think that it's it's safe to say that uh the THC content has probably doubled the average THC content has probably doubled between uh, the 60s and, and now. Um, but, um, you know, there are a couple of caveats that go with that. Um, one is that, well, uh, you know, even back in the 60s, there was extremely high THC content marijuana available. Uh, there was marijuana that was, it wasn't necessarily the uh, homegrown marijuana from the United States. It was imported from Jamaica or from Mexico or from uh, Colombia, especially, or from um, uh, Thailand, uh, with the Thai sticks, uh, and there was a great deal of hashish that was available in the 60s. So this hashish uh, actually had a, a THC content that was that rivals any of the THC content that's available in today's marijuana. So you know these are some of the things that are that are not taken into consideration when you say that uh, that. Uh, you know, there there was just a um, you know the, a, a a greatly stronger product that's available now uh, than was available back in the '60s. All right now, what do you attribute um, the shift in uh, I guess the '40s and '50s when marijuana was looked at as not a medical drug and it was banned. It was it was in most states, if not all of them, considered to be illegal. What do you think has happened? How is it that over time? Because you know it, the federal law still says that marijuana is illegal, but yes, you have individual states now sort of going back on the original decision to ban it as a medical substance or any other sort of substance, and now saying, well, wait a minute, there's some benefit to it. What's going on at the state level? What's going on? Why are people saying, hey, look, there's medical benefit to this? Um, well, you know, it's, it's basically a recognition that marijuana was misclassified um, as a Schedule One drug. For one thing, back in, in 1970 when the Controlled Substances Act was passed, um, you know, in, in, marijuana was always recognized as a medicine, uh, Peter. Um, it, it, like I said, if, like for 100 years, it was it was accepted as a pharmaceutical agent right here in the United States. It, it, it really was accepted as a medicine longer than it's been banned as a medicine. Um, you know, and, and in 1937, there was a, uh, uh, a campaign of misinformation, really, from the federal government about the dangers of marijuana. Uh, and um, you know the, the, even the AMA was opposed to banning it. Uh, you know they said that you know the, uh, by banning marijuana, you're going to uh, you know remove this uh, therapeutic agent from 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 so many people that it's just not proper. But uh, but Congress went ahead and banned it anyway in 1937. Um, and um, and and then the, the Marijuana Tax Act was declared unconstitutional in, in 1969. And in 1970, Congress passed the, the Controlled Substances Act, which, like I said, put marijuana as a Schedule I drug 
and which means that it has no accepted medical uses in the United States and that it's unsafe for use even under medical supervision and that it has a high potential for abuse. Well, you know, this was uh, contrary to the, to the experiences of so many people and to research that was not only done uh, in, uh, in the United States before, uh, before the ban, but was, is, is being carried out in foreign countries. So, you know, the, the evidence for, for marijuana's usefulness um, did not go away when, when, the, when the federal government, you know, declared that there, there were no accepted medical uses for, for marijuana. So, but the, 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 the federal government has been quite intransigent on this. Uh, uh, they, they refuse to uh, consider it, uh, even despite the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, well, the Schaefer Commission, for example, who, who, were, who, were, who was appointed by uh, uh, President Nixon to, to investigate whether or not marijuana was properly classified, they said marijuana was not properly classified as a Schedule I drug, that it should be decriminalized for adult use in the United States. And, and later on, when, when the Schaefer Commission looked at this, uh, uh, they, uh, um, I, I'm sorry. Later on, when when it was uh, uh, when it was appealed to the federal government that there should be marijuana should be reclassified, and uh, Judge Francis Young examined the issue for two years, he wound up saying that marijuana was the safest therapeutically active substance known to man, and that it shouldn't be classified as a Schedule One drug. But, uh, but it was, and, and, and it still is to this day. Marijuana is considered a Schedule I drug by the federal government. And so these, these state laws have been ways to get around this um, uh, federal prohibition. So the, the first state law was uh, passed in 1996 in California, the first working medical marijuana law, the Compassionate Use Act, Proposition 215. And you know, part, of the, part of the reason that got so much support was there were so many AIDS patients who were dying in the San Francisco Bay Area in the, in the 1980s and early 90s, uh, and you know there were there was no medicine to help them. But but people began to realize that the the AIDS patients who were using marijuana were fighting off the wasting syndrome that was killing the AIDS patients, and they were living longer than the people the AIDS patients who were not using marijuana. So you know it just became quite clear that there was enormous therapeutic benefits that the life-saving benefits in some cases to marijuana therapy and that, you know, people should be using this for, for, their, for their health and for their, to protect their lives. And, 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 and it was quite well known that, that marijuana helped with glaucoma and with the, with the nausea and vomiting that was associated with uh, chemotherapy. So, you know, the, the, the health benefits of, of marijuana are, are well recognized in, in, the, in the medical community and among patients and and uh, these laws are an attempt, these state laws that we have now, 20 states have passed medical marijuana laws in New Jersey. These are an attempt to get around the federal prohibition against marijuana. Well, you said that uh, it's accepted in the medical community, but there's a lot of people out there in the medical community who will dispute that. People who will say that there's not enough uh, scientific testing to, to really uh, support all of these claims. I mean, the fact is, is that it's a, it's a, a drug that is euphoric, as you described it, and not necessarily curing anything. It doesn't have, you know, to the extent that medical evidence has supported it, it doesn't show that it has some sort of curative feature to it. It seems as though that uh, the medical community is really split. I mean, you, you have to have come up against these people just based upon what you're doing, the people who will say it's not safe, there's no scientific support of this. There's no scientific support that it's going to benefit various conditions. Sure, it helps relieve pain and that sort of thing, but it's not something that, that we should be using. What do you think about that? Well, yes, I, I didn't mean to imply that there was unanimity of agreement in the, in the medical community about the benefits of marijuana by any means, Peter. Um, but... but you know, certain large. Uh, uh, there's a great deal of uh, support for marijuana therapy in, in the uh, in the medical community, including not only my state nurses association, but state nurses associations in about 20 different states, uh, along with the American Nurses Association. Uh, the American College of Physicians has, has supported medical marijuana. The American Academy of Family Physicians has supported medical marijuana. Uh, the American Public Health Association. You know, numerous uh, legitimate 
uh, medical organizations do support um, uh, medical marijuana and you know immediate patient access to medical marijuana. You know the uh, the opponents basically say that uh, you know there is not enough scientific support, but you know what you run up against is the type of scientific support that they're looking for is the scientific support that uh, uh, is included in FDA trials now and FDA approval of marijuana. You know that's the main stumbling block here in here in America and and why. The opponents of, of medical marijuana can insist that there's not enough scientific proof. Um, but the reality is that the federal government has been blocking the type of science, the type of clinical studies that would lead to FDA approval. The FDA approval entails clinical trials, uh, class, uh, uh, small clinical trials leading to larger clinical trials. Now, some of the smaller clinical trials have been done that, that clearly have the gold standard of, of, uh, of scientific proof of marijuana's safety and efficacy for a number of different conditions. You would think that when these smaller clinical trials would, be, would have been successfully completed that they would lead to larger clinical trials and, and FDA approval, but the, as I said, the federal government continues to block the large clinical trials involving 1,000 patients or more. Um, and uh, they continue to block these trials even to this day. They, the only marijuana that is available for these uh, federally approved large clinical trials is the marijuana that is grown at the University of Mississippi, um, which is the only federal supply of marijuana. So, and, and the federal government says that they are not in the business of of finding benefits for marijuana. They're, they are in the business of finding harms that are associated with marijuana. So the only trials that they really uh, approve are trials that are associated with finding harms about marijuana. All right, well, do you but think that, that there's... Let me just ask you this. Do you think that there yeah. is a contradiction in the fact that it is illegal under federal law, it's not being funded... To, um, to show the benefits of it under federal programs. Yet, in Colorado, where a lot of tax benefit has de been derived, there's no disputing the fact that the federal government will take tax benefits from those states that are selling marijuana. What do you think about that issue? Um, How can yes. you take it on one hand and say, all right, this is great, we're making money, but it's, it's we're making money on something that's uh, we don't approve. What, what do you think about that? Welcome to the Alice in Wonderland world of um, uh, marijuana and the law. <laughs> you know, there are, there are so many contradictions about marijuana and the law, Peter, that we could go on for quite a bit just talking about that. For example, did you know that in New Jersey, you know, the, the, the law, the Compassionate Use Medical Marijuana Act uh, says that uh, modern medical research has discovered a beneficial use for marijuana in treating or alleviating the pain or other symptoms associated with certain debilitating medical conditions. You know, this whole law is about the, the fact that marijuana is useful as a medicine in New Jersey, and yet the, in New Jersey today, the Attorney General, uh, the Attorney General's office denies that there are any uh, uh, medical benefits to marijuana. You know, marijuana is still considered a Schedule One drug in the state of New Jersey. So here you have the Office of Attorney General saying there are no medical benefits to marijuana, and you have the Department of Health saying, well, here's a program for the medical benefits of marijuana. You know, some of the contradictions I cannot resolve, trust me, uh, in, in this, uh, when it comes to marijuana therapy in, in, uh, in, in, you know, in the law. But, but just one other point I wanted to make about the uh, scientific proof of marijuana safety and efficacy. You know, these programs are all considered compassionate use programs, Peter, in the 20, state, in the 20 states that have medical marijuana laws. And compassionate use is, is, a, is, a, is a type of program that is designed to get a, 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 a new or controversial therapy to patients uh, before FDA approval. So FDA approval really shouldn't have play any role in these uh, uh, in these programs or the validity of these programs um, because you know it's, we, we're taking FDA approval out of it. You know this, the kind of science that is required for FDA approval is not required for any compassionate use program. 
All right, well, let me ask you this. All right, we've talked about uh, the benefits here of medical marijuana, but I think that, that the entire um, confusion that, that arises here is based upon one side saying there's no scientific support, the other side saying, well, you don't need the type of scientific support that you're looking for. Nobody is able to, you know, get together and say, all right, well, let's, you know, see what really is going on here. But you're going to have those people that say that it's a class one drug because it has addictive properties. And most proponents of marijuana tell me, no, that's not true. What do you think about whether or not it's an addictive substance and that's why it's classified as it is? Um, well, you know, for many years when I was in, in nursing school and when I was practicing as a nurse uh, in the hospitals and ICUs, um, the, the Merck manuals did not recognize marijuana as being an addictive substance. Um, you know, they said that there were, it didn't have the kind of characteristic withdrawal symptoms that other addictive substances had and that it may have been psychologically addictive uh, because it you know, increased euphoria, increased pleasure associated with various activities and whatnot and decreased painful memories. But, but, um, uh, but anyway, the, the federal government did uh, do some studies and you know, they did determine that there were uh, some characteristic withdrawal symptoms in a, in a small minority of people, like about 9% of the people who use marijuana. Um, and so these, these withdrawal symptoms can be characterized as a physical addiction. Um, they are... Well, the DSM-4 uh, lists, lists diagnosis for medical withdrawal of, uh, or for marijuana withdrawal. Right. So, and and if, you look at, if you look at those... You know, you'll see that they are irritability, some sleep disturbance, you know, certainly not the kind of uh, withdrawal symptoms that you have associated with alcohol, you know, for example, which, are, which can be fatal, the delirium treatments, uh, or the, 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 uh, um, um, the, the physical uh, agony of withdrawal from heroin or the, the, the psychological uh, problems of withdrawal from nicotine. Uh, so you know, I, I think it's safe to say that that there is a uh, there is an addictive quality to marijuana that is um, uh, experienced by a minority of people, uh, and but the withdrawal symptoms are fairly mild. Uh, um, it, it, it it basically the the addictive properties of of marijuana when you compare them to nicotine, heroin, cocaine, alcohol are associated with are about equal to the level of caffeine. Uh, so you know, I mean how. Yes, it may be addictive, about as addictive as caffeine is addictive, but you know, how can this possibly justify the, the draconian kind of penalties that we have you know, against the use of marijuana in, in our society when you're looking at a, at a, at a substance that is, is about as addictive as caffeine? All right, well, let's look at that for a second because obviously the goal with your organization is to promote medical marijuana, but you also are supporting recreational use of marijuana as we've seen you know, in, in Colorado. But I want to talk for a second about, you, know, you mentioned the draconian laws, but marijuana, unlike um, alcohol, for example, marijuana stays in your system. How can you then determine the penalties associated with someone who has used marijuana and is now operating a car? It's not the same test that you'd run if you had somebody with alcohol in their system because you can get a level that at least lets you know what the penalty should be if you apply it to our legal system. So if you have, whether it's medical or recreational, you have people that have you know, used the, the, the drug and are now operating vehicle. How do you penalize, even if it's legal, I mean, there still has to be some uh, penalties for, just like with alcohol, for the use of marijuana. How would you even develop that system? Well, you know, how do you do it now? I mean, it, it's not legal to, it's not legal to, uh, you know, operate a, a vehicle in an impaired manner, whether you're impaired by uh, opiates or prescription drugs or other prescription drugs or, or marijuana or alcohol. You know, the the idea is that, um, uh, you know, there there is no field test for for other drugs. Uh, you know, ha there's no breathalyzer for opiates, and yet uh, they can be. Uh, severely uh, impair your driving ability. Um, you know, actually, I understand that, that they, are, they have developed a, uh, a, um, a field test for, um, 
for marijuana intoxication, which does not rely on the you know urinalysis, which could produce a positive result for 30 days, but but give a, a much better indication of whether or not the the person has recently used marijuana and should not be driving a car. But I think that the real uh, solution to that is this, simply the, the field sobriety test. You know, this is this is an issue that we have now. You know, to determine whether a person is impaired and should not be driving, you have to look at the uh, experience of the of the uh, officer who's there involved in evaluating the person. All right. Now, studies that I've read show that approximately, well, they say less than five percent of the individuals who are using medical marijuana are using it outside of the symptoms for which it was prescribed. And there is a school of thought that says with reduced restrictions on the use of medical marijuana in New Jersey and obviously the recreational use, that what you're going to have is an impact on adolescents. Okay, it's going to be something that is going to be more prevalent than alcohol, some will argue. And there's a school of thought and some research that shows that adolescents who are 14 years of age who consistently use marijuana are doing damage to their brains. Do you believe that the legalization for recreational purposes or the expanded medical use of marijuana is going to have an impact on adolescents? Because these are the people we're talking about who are going to be operating motor vehicles because they're not using their best judgment in general. And now they're, you know, they have access to marijuana. What do you think about that? Um, well, you know, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in, in the states where marijuana is, uh, is legal right now for medical uses. And I think it's too early to make a determination about uh, the effect of the legalization program on uh, adolescents in Colorado and Washington State. We have not seen an increase in marijuana use among adolescents in, in uh, the states that have uh, medical marijuana programs. In fact, we've seen a significant decrease in most of those states. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're I'm, I'm not seeing it in, in, according to the research. And, you know, you know, one of the things that, that medical marijuana does is, you know, it, uh, it makes it less glamorous for teens to use it. You know, when, when teens see cancer patients and AIDS patients and hospice patients using marijuana, it, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't make it, wanna, it, doesn't make it wanna, something that they want to do. Uh, it, uh, it, it deglamorizes it and, uh, and, and it makes it less attractive for them, I believe. And the other thing is that, you know, nobody wants, to, nobody wants adolescents to use marijuana inappropriately, you know, even people who, who support legalization. You know, but we think that the current system is such a failure. I mean, uh, you know, the current system of prohibition that we live under now, uh, you know, look, 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 at, look at the availability for teens that we have now, Peter. You know, uh, the Monitoring the Future surveys have shown for the last 30 years in a row that over 80% of high school seniors say that marijuana is easy to get or fairly easy to get. Uh, you know, the current system is simply not working, and the current system is doing a great deal of damage. Uh, you know, when, when teens do use marijuana and they find out that, that uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the harms associated with marijuana have been greatly exaggerated, you know, then, then what are they to believe? You know, they, they, they don't believe, you know, about the harms that, that they don't believe the education that, uh, that people try to inform them about uh, the harms associated with other more dangerous drugs. Isn't so, that you know, true, that's, though, that's about real many, problem. Isn't that true, though, about many different drugs? For example, take uh, anabolic steroids. You know, I think that anabolic steroids are something that can be used safely. And it's the same argument, you know, kids are going to get them in high school because they go to the local gym and they pick them up and they don't know what they're using. And if they were legalized, then you'd have um, safe, quality medications. So what's the difference between marijuana and anabolic steroids for use in sports? Um, well, uh, I... You know, I, I'm not that familiar with anabolic steroids, uh, quite frankly. So um, I, I really, um, I'm, I'm really not qualified to to discuss, you know, or even to uh, to uh, to, uh, to compare anabolic steroids to marijuana. You know, but um, you know, but I can say that uh, it's um, we have a we have a choice really, you know, between making things. Um, 
making reasonable regulations and reasonable restrictions and making unreasonable restrictions, you know, certainly on the use of marijuana that we're doing now, Peter. You know, how can we, what sense does it make to say that minors shouldn't use marijuana if by the same token you say adults shouldn't use it either? You know, what sense does it say you should not use marijuana in your car if at the same time you're saying you shouldn't use it outside your car? You know, just the prohibition doesn't make sense. You know, the regulations are not reasonable. They're not something that, that Americans are willing to, to, to adhere to. You know, we, we've made great strides in the reduction of uh, cigarette smoking in America, and we've done it without arresting a single person for smoking a cigarette. You know, we've done it simply through a program of education about the very real dangers that are associated with, with uh, tobacco use and a system of taxation that supports those educational programs and also discourages uh, uh, teens from using it in that way. So, you know, until we begin to really be honest with teens about drug use, you know, you're not going to make any progress and, and you can't hope to, to really have a serious impact on uh, teen use of, of drugs in general. Well, you mentioned something that's really, I think, relevant here, taxation. I mean, look at what Colorado brought in in taxes in, what, a month and a half, two months' worth of legalization of, of marijuana. So isn't, isn't it fair to say that at least to an extent some of the proponents driving this idea of medical marijuana, and not, I'm not talking about your organization, but others, don't they see this as a cash cow, as a business venture? There's going to be, obviously, facilities. There's going to be paraphernalia that needs to be produced. So aren't a lot of those industry types behind this push as well? No, yes, I'm, I'm certain that there's, uh, you know, there's a huge industry that uh, is, is waiting to, to, to blossom you know, with, the, uh, with marijuana legalization. Uh, and, and is in fact uh, already, in, in, to some extent, having a, having significant impacts on on various economies. Uh, you know, one of the economies we hope to have a, a negative impact on is the uh, you know drug cartels. You know, the illegal drug dealers. <laughs> you know, why enrich illegal drug dealers through this system of prohibition when you can be enriching uh, our state? Uh, our state treasuries and, 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 and providing taxation to go to, uh, you know, uh, education and, and roads and, and, and senior citizens and, uh, you know, every type of program that the state, uh, state funds. Yeah, but there has uh, to know, be a limit on that argument, though, because, you know, you're not talking about introducing heroin. And, I mean, because you look at South America, what drugs are we getting from them? I mean, look at the heroin epidemic in this country. So there's got to be limitations on that argument. You wouldn't want to say, let's enrich our, our state and our federal government in the taxes. Let's introduce heroin. Well, that, that's a, it's a separate issue, and, and we're not talking about introducing, uh, you know, legalizing methamphetamine and, and cocaine and heroin. Uh, you know, we're talking about 50% of the war on drugs. 50% is, is a war on marijuana. So by, by taking marijuana out of the equation, you are... Uh, you know, having a significant impact on uh, on uh, both the illegal drug trade and on uh, the ability of uh, the state to produce, um, you know, to fund very worthwhile projects. Um, you know, and, and of course there is a, a huge industry that's, that's also, uh, you know, jobs and taxes and uh, uh, jobs producing paraphernalia, jobs producing, jobs testing marijuana, uh, you know the, the 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 marijuana industry is 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 you know a, potentially a, a you know a multi-billion dollar industry that that should be uh, uh, taxed and regulated appropriately here in, in in the country rather than prohibited. Now, as far as, uh, as, far as you know, looking at the future, I mean, because it seems to me as though the trend will be whether it's five years, ten years, or two years, you know, I think we're going to slowly start seeing legalization and expanded use of marijuana just because that's the developing trend. So I don't think it can be necessarily stopped, even though there are proponents of it. But what sort of educational programs need to be in place, not just for adolescents, but for adults? Because even in Colorado, 
while it might be legal, you can still be fired by an employer. You can still be screened by an employer. So the fact that, that marijuana is illegal doesn't mean that if you come to work high that you're not going to lose your job. And are there enough educational programs out there right now? What needs to be developed if this becomes the trend? Uh, well, it's, it certainly is the trend. Uh, you know, if we look at uh, who supports marijuana legalization, we see that uh, you know my generation, the baby boomers, and Generation X, uh, the uh, people born between 65 and 80, are are just over majority support, 52, 53 percent. But the millennial generation, those people born between 1981 and 1996, have almost 70 percent support for marijuana legalization. While the the only people, the only generation with a uh, less than majority support is the silent generation, those people born between 1923 and 1945. So, you know, you're certainly right when you say that uh, mar- marijuana legalization is, is almost an inevitability here in, in the United States, uh, you know, given the, given the demographics of those who support it. Uh, and, and there are, you know, an important number of uh, uh, educational programs that need to be uh, a certain need to be brought out, you know, and to, to explain, but, you know, some type of honest education, Peter, rather than the kind of uh, government propaganda that we're getting now. You know, what, what are the, what are the uh, uh, effects on the body? What are the expected effects? What are the potential side effects? Uh, the, you know, the drowsiness, the easily distracted, uh, um, you know, what potential adverse effects are there from, from marijuana, you know, the coordination difficulties, the difficulties associated with, uh, with operating machinery, um, you know, possible paranoia or anxiety or, or, or dysphoria, you know, which is, a, a, you know, just an uncomfortable feeling. There's a rare panic reaction that's associated with marijuana. And, you know, it may precipitate a mental health crisis in, in people who are, uh, um, you know, have, have that type of uh, um, predisposition. So, uh, you know, there are, there are some, you know, uh, uh, legitimate concerns, uh, but, uh, you know, in order to get these legitimate concerns out, we have to get past this, this uh, demonization of marijuana, uh, you know, where uh, marijuana is associated with insanity and criminality and death, you know, that, that the, the federal government's been talking about for, for so many years. Um, employment issues is a, is a, is a very real uh, concern, uh, as you say, that uh, you know this happens today. It happens today, with, even in medical states. Medical states that have uh, have passed medical marijuana laws, uh, you know, still patients who uh, who can test positive for marijuana on the job can be fired. You know, we've seen this happen in in Michigan. Uh, a, a person who was you know employee of the month, uh, he, he was injured in an unrelated accident. Uh, he had to go for a drug test and. And he uh, he lost his job uh, because he was a medical marijuana patient. So you know it's it's not necessarily um, you know it, it's certainly unfair. And I think that the courts really have to have to look at this issue. And either that or the the laws have to be uh, strengthened to give uh, much greater employment protection for people who are using marijuana in uh, you know medically. Um, to, to protect them from from losing their jobs, the way you know they any, they would uh, be protected from using any medicine uh, under a doctor's recommendation. But do you think? I mean, how how what's? I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't think that that's necessarily fair to say to an employer you must treat this employee different because they're using medical marijuana. It's not like it falls under. Um, you know, like in New Jersey, the law against discrimination or any of the ADA guidelines, the fact that they may be using medical marijuana, that doesn't seem right to force an employer to say, now I've got to make an exception because, you know, you've got a condition that you're, you're being treated for. Really? It doesn't seem right to you? I mean, it certainly seems right to me. I mean, if a person is using medical marijuana because he has cancer, uh, you know, and should he be fired for that, Peter? Is that what you're saying? Well, doesn't the employer have the right to fire someone? Let's say that the employer doesn't know. They know that the individual has cancer, but they don't know that they're using medical marijuana. And the job involves forklift operating or packing on a, a shipping line. And this individual, I mean, there's no, there's no dispute that the use of marijuana can lead to impairment, even if it's minor, the same way that alcohol well, consumption exactly. could. Exactly. But, you know... 
the way marijuana is used for uh, chemotherapy, typically used for chemotherapy, is that uh, a couple of puffs are taken by the patient before the chemotherapy, and then a couple of puffs are taken by the patient after the chemotherapy. And this controls the nausea and vomiting that are associated with uh, chemotherapy. Uh, so. You know, this is not done on the job. And, and these effects of marijuana, you know, when it, especially when it's used uh, uh, in, by inhalation method, wears off in a couple of hours. So the next day when that person goes on a job, he's not impaired by the use of marijuana, although he would still test positive for the use of marijuana. So I think that it, that's an important distinction to make, that he is not impaired on the job, even though he tests positive on the job, and that, he sh and, and that it, it is an outrage, in my opinion, that, that he should lose his job because he has cancer and he's using an appropriate medicine off the job that does not impair him on the job. Um, it's an outrage that he should lose his job for that. But also it's an outrage when you look at an employer who now has to have increased liability, you know, we're going to open up a whole new insurance field because, you know, when you have somebody who is operating a forklift, let's just stick with that example for a second, and there's a death or an accident or an injury, you know, that's the number one question that's going to be asked at a deposition. Did you know that, that your employee was using medical marijuana? And, you know, there's no, there's no, we talked earlier about alcohol consumption, and you can have a level of alcohol use, and you can know when somebody was impaired on alcohol, but you don't have that same ability on marijuana. And so how should an employer be held liable when somebody's using medical marijuana? The employer doesn't know if that patient or that employee is going to be using it in the morning before they go to work, and you can't regulate that. So while it might be acceptable to allow medical marijuana as a therapeutic drug, it doesn't necessarily seem to, to suggest that employers have to, you know, or can't fire employees because of that. Well, but what's the situation now? I mean, you're, you're more familiar with employment law in this area than I am, certainly. So well, what's this, let's forget about marijuana. Let's say, uh, you know, uh, a pain medicine, uh, opioids that are, that are prescribed for, for cancer. Um, you know, what's, what's the situation now? Is it, can an employer uh, fire a person who tests positive for an opioid? Um, you know, who is not impaired on the job? I mean, obviously, if, if some, you, you do not, we're, we're, we're all agreed that impairment on the, in, in the employment area is, is uh, inappropriate and, uh, and should be dealt with, uh, with severely, especially when in the, in the example of a forklift operator or someone who is operating machinery or someone who can endanger other people or himself. You know, but, um, uh, you know, to me, Marijuana is just another drug, and it should be treated as just another drug, and there should not be some marijuana exception because marijuana stays in the body and can be detected longer than most other drugs. Well, the answer to your question, though, is yes. Right now, even in Colorado, if you are an, an employer and you have an anti-drug policy, regardless of whether or not that drug is being used for medical purposes, and the individual tests positive for that drug, they can be fired. And that's how it is. So like oxy, oxy, oxycodone or, you know, some other drug that is a legitimate prescription written by a doctor, that that person can be fired if, if they're, uh, you know. So, so if you work for one of these companies, you can't get sick. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, but let's talk about recreational use versus medical use for a minute. Because if we were talking about the trend developing where we believe that uh, marijuana is going to be uh, legalized for recreational purposes, as in Colorado. Let's look at Colorado, for example. They have the legalization as a recreational use drug, yet an employer still maintains the right to say, if you test positive for a drug, you know, and certainly we're not talking about uh, antibiotics or other medications, but clearly, too, if you're an employer and you have an employee who's impaired because of the use of oxycodone, you're not going to want them engaged in the uh, you know use of heavy equipment or that sort of thing but if an employer has an anti-drug policy of banned substances and they typically are not referring to things like oxycodone or vicodin but to drugs like marijuana and, and cocaine and that sort of thing they can be fired yeah you just and, and of course that. courts have 
I, I disagree with it. The courts have, have agreed with it. Uh, the courts have said that they, they can, in fact, be fired, and they have, in fact, been fired. Um, you know, it seems to me that um, uh, it, it, this is, uh, you know, unfair to the, to the people involved, especially if they're not impaired on the job. Uh, so, but, uh, but you know, that, that it, is an, it is an issue that uh, uh, I think uh, needs uh, further discussion and needs, needs uh, some type of other re- resolution to it. I, I think there's a fundamental unfairness in, in penalizing a person because they're sick and they're, and they're using a medicine that does not impair their, their performance on, on the job. But, but anyway, well, would you feel uh, would you feel comfortable making a distinction between those individuals using medical marijuana versus those using recreational marijuana? Even even though it's all legalized in our example, would you make a separate distinction for employers? Uh, well, yes, actually, I think that there should be a separate distinction. Um, you know, I, and the, the real the crux of the matter should be whatever the drug use is. If the drug use impairs the person's ability on the job, then he deserves to be fired, I think, uh, or sent to counseling, or at, at least, uh, uh, you know, prior to, you know, uh, being fired, depending on the on the particular policy involved. Um, but but the real issue is, is it impairment on the job because of drug use, and uh, and and what was the reason for that? Uh, so I think that there's an important distinction to be made between uh, medical marijuana and uh, and recreational marijuana, and uh, and part of the problem that you get into, as I said, is that uh, you know the the marijuana can be tested in the, in the body for up to 30 days, can can test positive in the body for up to 30 days, and so it doesn't necessarily really uh, determine impairment on the job. Uh, I think that there needs to be better uh, uh, system for determining impairment. All right, so that sounds to me as though not only is there a need for additional training, but there's going to be a need for additional legislation to clarify certain issues. I mean, this seems to open up a huge can of worms, not just simply the debate over whether or not it it should be legalized. There's a, a lot of moving parts to this. Yes, absolutely. So um, there are. You know, and what about, what about, you know, I just want your thoughts on individuals who have predispositions to react in a particular way to marijuana, but they don't know it because they've never used it before. What do you think the liability should be on, let's say, a legalized marijuana state where you have a, a, a non-governmental facility, a regular business selling it, and they're selling it to an individual who has a predisposition, they don't know about it, you know, it's not as though you're serving someone at a bar and you can see they're intoxicated and you say, all right, I'm going to put the brakes on and call you a cab. What do you think the liability should be on that store owner who sells marijuana, or do you think there should be no liability? You mean like a predisposition to a mental illness and, and this uh, it kicks off a, a mental illness in someone who is uh, predisposed yeah. to have that mental illness? Yeah, or, but, or paranoia you know, that leads to you know, some sort of killing spree or whatever it might be in, in, a, in a, yeah. you know, a unique circumstance. Yeah, we, we haven't seen that kind of thing. But, but you know, I, I, well, you know, personally, I, I, I think that trying to legislate um, uh, triggers for, for mental illness, uh, you know, is, is uh, not a very practical uh, endeavor. You know, I mean, a, a trigger for a mental illness could be mental, could be marijuana, it could be alcohol, it could be, it could be breaking up with a relationship. You know, uh, you know, with uh, with a significant other. So, you know, I mean, anything could really uh, uh, be a be a a, um, a trigger for a a, a uh, uh, schizophrenic break, perhaps. So, you know, to try to to legislate that or to try to uh, 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 show some cause effect relationship could be uh, you know extremely difficult and and probably uh, uh, just oh, nearly impossible yeah, yeah but what right. what about the liability on that that store owner you know the same way that you've got laws that say there's liability imputed to a bar owner who serves an excessive amount of alcohol do you think that there should be a waiver that um, these these store owners set forth with the purchase of marijuana in legalized states that says, hey, listen, we're not going to be held responsible 
if there's an issue that arises out of your use of marijuana, and do you think that the case law needs to support that so that people that are selling it legally are not being sued? Uh, that's a very good question, Peter. And uh, you know, I'm just not a lawyer. I'm really not qualified to answer that, quite frankly. Uh, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I really, really haven't considered that. Uh, you know, the, the the kind of liability that bar owners have, you know, for serving an intoxicated person, should that kind of liability extend to uh, to the intoxication that's associated with marijuana? Um, you know, that it's a, it's a good question. Part of the I, I think part of the pro, the distinction is that. Um, uh, alcohol is consumed uh, publicly in bars in um, you know throughout the country and in the state so far in Colorado at least uh, it, there has been a provision that there is no public consumption of marijuana so you can't consume the marijuana in in a uh, uh, you know in the place where you buy it uh, so I think that that would probably decrease the liability of, of the person of the of the of the uh, establishment that sold it but like I said it's, it's really a difficult question for me to answer so but what it really does open up I think is it open up the it opens up the idea that um, case law and laws in general are going to develop around this new uh, area of potential liability and I think yeah. that you know even if we're proponents of medical marijuana even if they're a proponent of recreational marijuana, I don't think it's as simple as, okay, let's pass a bill, it's legal, because it's going to be years of developing the legal trends that arise out of it. Who's liable, who's responsible, when can you sue? So it certainly isn't a, a quick and easy thing. No, and, you know, it, uh, Senator Scutari introduced a bill to legalize marijuana in New Jersey um, was it left just a week ago today. Uh, and... Uh, you know, he, he did this knowing that Governor Christie would uh, veto any legalization bill in New Jersey, and yet uh, he did it, I think, to to start a dialogue about uh, about legalization in New Jersey, the the pros and cons, what kind of you know unforeseen circumstances uh, uh, legalization might lead to, and um, and, and to uh, you know to to work out some of these issues. So it's 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 not going to happen, I think, anytime too soon here in New Jersey. But I think that uh, when it does happen, it, it will be a good thing, and and there will certainly be problems associated with it, but but far fewer problems, Peter, than are associated with our current. You know, situation. Right. You know, we're talking about we're talking about a, a, a prohibition that not only is ineffective, but it's so damaging to our society. Uh, you know, the the legal problems. Uh, you know, the laws against marijuana are the uh, you know the the time in prison, six months in prison for possession of a single joint here in New Jersey. You know, that, that's one thing. But there are civil penalties that are that are associated with with the. Uh, 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 with the with a, a marijuana conviction that that are absolutely devastating to a person's right. life, you know they can be thrown out of public housing, they can be barred from from higher education, um, they can lose their parental rights, they can lose their driver's license, they can be barred from employment. You know the the, the kind of issues that that we face now with our current policy are are, are so horrendous that that the the unintended consequences and the kind of uh, you know mopping up that that we need to do after marijuana is legalized, will we'll pale in comparison to the issues that we face now. All right. Well, Ken, thank you very much for uh, joining me today. If people want more information about you, what's your website, Ken? Oh, thank you, Peter. Yes, uh, we are the Coalition for Medical Marijuana in New Jersey. That's www.cmmnj.org. And we're also very worried. Uh, if, um, uh, popular on Facebook uh, at the uh, Friends of the Coalition for Medical Marijuana in New Jersey. You can find up to the minutes things about what we're doing there. Uh, we have monthly meetings at the uh, on the second Tuesday of every month at the Lawrence Township Library from 7 to 9 p.m. The public's invited, welcome to come, and um, and there are a number of uh, number of events that you can find on our website uh, that are will be involved in if you want to come out and meet us. All right, that's great, Ken. We're going to have uh, you know some questions that come out of this show, so perhaps we can have you on in the future to answer those questions. Again, thanks for being here today. I want to remind everybody to tune in this Thursday at 10 o'clock. We have uh, former um, or uh, former Wall Street journalist and reporter. She's the author of Haunted Empire: Apple After Steve Jobs. It's going to be very interesting. So tune in on Thursday. And uh, if you have questions about this show, give us a call at 973-949-3770.
Remember that there's power in understanding the law.